Amen. Okay, uh, great to see you all again. Uh, thank you to John and everyone else in the worship team for leading the worship. Thank you for John for introducing me. Uh, I want to start with a reading. Uh, the last couple of times I've been here, uh, we've been looking at the Gospel of John. So if you've got your Bible or your smartphone, um, if you can turn to John chapter 21, and you might just like to leave your Bible open there after I've done this reading. Jesus has just risen from the dead, uh, and uh, this is what happens in this final chapter of John. And it says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they, not, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because the third time, because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I want to talk about that passage, but I want to do it in a slightly different way this morning. In actual fact, if, I, if we can move this lectern away, that would be great. And um, if I could have a chair to sit down, I'm going to preach sitting down, cool. is that allowed? Um, 
a number of years ago, when I was at the Bible College, one of the uh, lecturers was talking about the different ways in which pre we present things. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned was preaching in the first person. Now, that sounds a bit fancy. What does it actually mean? It just means preaching as though you were the person involved, all right? So you're not preaching. I want to preach this morning not just about preacher, uh, not just about Peter, but I'd like you to imagine that I am Peter, all right? So I'm going to be preaching. Now, I do have uh, a... Uh, PowerPoint. There were some sound effects, but I don't think we can get that. Has the PowerPoint come up, and does it come down here so I can see where we are as well? We might not even have the PowerPoint. Oh, it's there. Okay. Um, I tell you what, let me just put this chair by there just so I can glance up and uh, make sure I can see where we are. Now, um, well, you can see what it says, the last day of the Apostle Peter's life, all right? Now, I know my name is Peter. It's not, not the last day of my life, I hope. Please, God, I want to get home. Um, but I'd just like you to imagine that this is Peter, and uh, he is just about to die. Now, the Bible doesn't record this, but there are very good traditions, historical traditions, that Peter was martyred under the reign of the Emperor Nero, um, and that he was crucified in actual fact, uh, there, there's strong traditions that he asked to be crucified upside down because he did not believe himself worthy to die the same way as Jesus. So uh, I just want to imagine you to imagine that I'm in prison at the moment and um, I'm just waking up. As I said, sadly, there were some sound effects and it was going to start off with the sound of a cockerel crowing and uh, there, there, there were some other, but we haven't got those, but... Uh, let me just start, so I'll just nod. Okay, thank, thank you. So this is it. My final day on this earth. How apt that it should begin with the sound of a rooster crowing. I wonder what the first thoughts would come into my head on this my final day. What would my memories be? Would it be of my wedding day? that glorious day when I was joined to my beautiful wife and the beginning of that great new adventure that we had together? Would it be the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit in such a tremendous way and the world began to change? Or would it be that other day, that dark and dreadful day when I failed so badly? Strangely enough, it's none of those. It was a day that happened just a little while later. And I'm sure I've got good reasons that I will talk about later as to why I remember that day. Of course, by then, Jesus was alive. The news had spread, and we began to meet with Jesus, and everyone was overjoyed. And of course, I was thrilled. All the things that Jesus had spoken about before, about suffering and dying, that we'd never really grasped all of a sudden they began to come together and make sense. But although part of me was overjoyed, I was also very perplexed because I had failed and I had failed so badly. Judas was dead. Betrayal? Denial? Is there much difference between the two? Was there any hope for me? Well, maybe. Because, you see, Jesus had given the message to the women, and they were told to go and speak to the disciples and Peter. 
and tell us that Jesus had gone ahead of us to Galilee. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. But what did that mean? Was I in the group? Was I outside of the group? Was there any hope? As I said, those days were a, a range of all the emotions that you can imagine. Great highs that Jesus was alive. Great depths when I thought about what I'd done. And one day I woke up and it was a bad day. It, it was a bad day. And I said to the rest of the, the disciples, I said, look, I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to those boats that were abandoned years and years ago. And about half a dozen of them said, we'll come with you. So off we set and we fished, fished all night. And it was another absolute failure. I remember hearing the cockerels crow again as dawn came. And the light came over the hills around the Sea of Galilee. And it began to bounce off the water. And we knew that this was it. Once the light came, the fish would be able to see the nets. They weren't going to jump into the nets they could see. So it was another, another failure, another wasted night. And then all of a sudden, as I said, it was difficult to see because of the light bouncing off the lake and the dawn just creeping over the mountains. And we, there was someone on the shore and couldn't really make him out. But then he called out. He said, friends, have you caught anything? Well, that was the last question I wanted to hear. And so he just said, no, another hopeless night, another failure, we've caught nothing. So he said, well, throw your net over the right side of the boat. Well, as I said, I'm an experienced fisherman. We all knew that the chances of this working were very slim to nil by the time the light was out. But nevertheless, we had nothing to, uh, to lose. So in the end, we threw the net over the side of the boat. And there were fish. There were so many fish. Hundreds of, well, not hundreds, 153. Someone bothered to count them. And I was just amazed. And I thought, golly, you know, all these fish, I've never seen anything like it. Although, no, wait a minute. Because I had. I remember right at the beginning, just over three years previously, there was this new prophet this person called Jesus of Nazareth, and he lived up in the Galilee region, and he was beginning to acquire a following, and people were anxious to hear what he said. And one day, he came along next to where we were on the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds began to come because this, this man had this astounding teaching. And then he looked at me, and you could see the crowds pressing in on him, and he said, uh, Simon, can I borrow your boat? Well, I was delighted. I was thrilled. Yes, certainly, Jesus. So he got in the boat and we pushed out just a little bit away from the shore so the crowds could gather there. Jesus had a bit of space, but they could still hear him. And I listened to him. And I heard his parables, his stories, his teaching. And it was just amazing. He was a man who spoke with not only compassion, but in a straightforward way that people could understand, but also with authority. And it was just astounding. And then the day came to a close and the crowds began to drift away. And Jesus said, uh, Peter, he said, I want you to go fishing. I want you to go out a little deeper and then cast your net over the side of the boat. And we did that. And that was where I first saw that first gigantic shoal of fish right at the very beginning. And all of a sudden, 
it wasn't just that Jesus spoke so tremendously, but that he, he was able to do miracles. And there was something about this man. His, as I said, his authority, his compassion, but also his righteousness, his integrity, his, 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 his holiness. And I felt totally unworthy. And I fell down at his feet and I said, Lord, depart from me, I'm sinful. And Jesus said, no. He said, I'm going to stay with you and you're going to stay with me. And in the future, you're not going to catch, catch fish. You're going to catch men and women. Uh, you're going to bring them into the kingdom of God. Peter, I want you to follow me. And that was it. Hugh was someone I had met who could change my life, who could change my job, who could affect my family. And I willingly left everything else behind. And I set out to follow him. As I said, we were glancing towards this person on the shore, and I think deep down, we all knew who it was. But it was John, John the disciple whom Jesus loved, who cried out, it is the Lord. I remember another time when we were just a bit further north, up in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus was about halfway through his ministry. And uh, he said, to, he got us all together and said to us as disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? And so we told him the usual answers. You know, some people think you're one of the prophets. Maybe you're Elijah. Maybe you're Jeremiah. There are some other people. They think you're John the Baptist who's come back from the dead after being beheaded. And then Jesus asked us, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I knew. It just came to me. And I knew with utter conviction, with utter surety, and I said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus said, well done, Peter. He said, you haven't even worked this out. He said, you've had a revelation from God as to who I am. And this was astounding that God was speaking to me. That God was actually speaking through me. That this God who had this plan, who had spoken through the scriptures, who had spoken to all these people years ago, who had spoken through Moses and then through the prophets, was willing to use me as his instrument and speak to me and speak through me. Except that then Jesus began to talk about suffering and about dying. And I just thought, this doesn't fit in. It just doesn't fit in with this revelation from God that you're the Savior, that you're the Messiah. And so I took him to one side. And I said, Jesus, we don't want to hear any more of this talk about suffering and dying. Satan, get behind me. You see, I didn't understand the things of God. I didn't understand his ways. I didn't understand his plans. I had my own idea of what God's mission would be like, what God's Messiah would be like. And Jesus had to put me straight. I jumped out of the boat. I wanted to be with Jesus. Uh, I remember grabbing my garment, jumping into the water, swimming for a little while because of the depth, and then eventually striding through the water to see Jesus. And that reminded me of another time that I got out of a boat. This was quite a while ago, and it was a very different circumstance. It was in the middle of the night. We'd been with Jesus, 
And Jesus said, I want you to take the boat across the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he said that he was going to meet us later, which was a little strange. And so we set off. And as I said, I know all about fishing. I know all about sailing and rowing and everything. But that night, the storms were so powerful, so mighty. The waves, the, the wind, we could hardly make any headway. And again, there was lightning flashing, there was uh, the moonlight bouncing off the waves. And then someone said, I can see someone. And we thought, no. They said, yes, there's someone out there. It's a spirit. It's a ghost. And then we heard that voice. And that voice said, no, it's no ghost. It's me. It's Jesus. And then... I don't know whether it was bravado or whether it was faith or whatever, but I found myself splurting out and saying, well, if it's you, Jesus, let me come. Let me walk to you on the water. And Jesus said, okay, come on then, Peter. So I stepped out of the boat and I stepped on the sea and the sea supported me. And I began to stride across to Jesus. Jesus was walking on water and I was walking on water. And this was incredible. I couldn't believe it. It was so miraculous. I couldn't, it's beyond my wildest dreams. Until I suddenly stopped and thought, what am I doing? And I felt the wind in my face and I looked at the waves. And they were enormous and I started to sink. And I thought, I am going to die. I'm going to die in the middle of this Sea of Galilee. And I cried out, save me. And Jesus was there. And his arm came out. And he helped me back and got me back in the boat and then he said, you should have more faith, Peter. Eventually, I got to the shore. Jesus was there, and Jesus had already started cooking breakfast. There was a bit of uh, a bonfire uh, going there. And um, I just remember being there. And to be honest, I, I couldn't even look Jesus in the face. I just stared into the fire, you know, sometimes you see these pictures and you look into the flames. And it reminded me of just a few days earlier when I had spent time around another fire. It was the night of the Last Supper. Jesus had washed our feet and said, look, even though I'm your master, I've given you an example, you should serve one another. And then Jesus had asked us to go with him to Gethsemane and to pray with him. I was so tired, though. I kept trying to stay awake, but I, I just kept, kept drifting off. And then all of a sudden, there was the, this noise, these flashes of steel, these lights and these lanterns all around, and people and soldiers and Judas approaching Jesus with that terrible kiss of betrayal. And everyone else ran away. I didn't. I, I did stay there. I decided I would follow, although at a safe distance, I made sure I was all right. And so gradually, I made my way into this courtyard, and it was a cold night. And there are all these people warming their hands around this fire. And then one of them said, they said, have you heard about that Jesus? They've arrested him. And they looked at me, and he said, I, I've seen you before. Aren't you one of the people who went around with Jesus? No, no, not me, not me. So I said, yeah. He said, I'm sure. In fact, I think you were one of his disciples. I said, no, you're making a mistake. You don't know what you're talking about. 
And then they said, yes, you, you're clearly a Galilean. Your accent is giving you away. And I began to curse and swear. I never knew this man. And then just as I did that, I glanced back across the courtyard. And I saw someone there. I didn't recognize him at first. I don't think anyone would have. And uh, then I realized it was Jesus. I don't know what the Roman soldiers had done to him. And worse was to follow. And Jesus just looked at me. And I remembered. I got to the shore. Jesus was cooking fish. I always find that strange. We had, we had fished all night and caught nothing until Jesus had allowed us to catch these 153 fish. But Jesus already had someone who was cooking them. But it wasn't just fish. There was bread there as well. And it reminded me of another incident where there was bread and fish. Jesus was at the height of his popularity. And one day these massive crowds had come. Uh, someone said there were about 5,000 men, and by the time you add women and children, there were about 20,000 people there. And uh, they were all listening avidly to Jesus, but it, it was getting on late into the day. And uh, we approached Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, they, they need to go home. Uh, need to pack them off, set them off home. And Jesus said, let's give them something to eat. <laughs> and we just looked astounded and uh, I think it was Philip who did the maths and he worked it out. He said, it's going to cost someone eight months, a person, eight months of a person's wages to feed all these people. And Jesus said, what have we got? And it was Andrew who said, well, there's a little lad here. He's got some bread and some fish. I said, but what's that? It's hopeless in this situation. And you could see that twinkle in Jesus' eye. You could see that smile because she was someone who delighted in hopeless situations. And he took the bread and the fish and he prayed to God and he began to distribute it. And there was enough for everyone. Everyone had his fill and there was loads left over. And uh, I always think of that. Though the resources were so sparse, the resources were so few, there was so little to work with. Yet Jesus changed that whole situation around. Jesus had the bread and the fish, and then he took the bread, and then he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to us. And again, that reminded me of that night, that last supper, where, as I said, Jesus had washed our feet, and then Jesus started talking. And again, he was talking about suffering and dying, but there seemed to be an added seriousness, an added urgency about what he was saying. And then he said, I'll soon be dead and you will all forsake me. No, not me, I said. I remember leaping to my feet and I looked at the other disciples and I said, they may, they may forsake you, not me. I'll die for you. And Jesus just shook his head sadly. He said, no, Peter, no, you won't. In fact, before the cockerel crows twice, before it's morning, you'll have disowned me, you'll have denied me, not just once, not just twice, but three times. I remember that next morning, 
I remember hearing the rooster crow and I was in the depths of despair because at the end I had failed, utterly, totally, miserably failed. Jesus was going to die. There were no two ways about that. And I had messed up completely. Was there any hope? Was there any hope? Well, there must be some, because I find myself now at the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, Jesus who is still alive. I find myself eating bread and fish with him. And then Jesus catches my eye. And Jesus says, Peter, do you truly love me? And I could tell by the way he phrased it and the expression that he used that he was talking of a deep love, a deep sacrificial love, a deep love that holds absolutely nothing back. It's actually the word that we use for the love of God. People have started recording the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, and we've written it down in Greek, and we use that word agape, a love that holds nothing back. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me with that total sacrificial love? But you see, I realized I wasn't there. That when it had come to the crunch, despite my protestations, despite my exclamations, despite my statements that I would give up everything, I knew I couldn't do it. And so I had to use a different word when I replied to Jesus. And I said, Lord, you know I love you. I did love him. Part of me adored him. But I just knew it was not that total, total all-giving love that we see in God and it was symbolized by Jesus on the cross. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. What did that mean? Could he still use me? Would he still use me? Second time, Jesus said, Peter, do you truly love me with this all-giving love? Again, I couldn't use that word. I said, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep, said Jesus. And then Jesus asked me a third time, three denials, three questions. But it was interesting what Jesus said the third time. And actually, I was hurt by it. Because you see, Jesus used the same expression that I used. He just said, Peter, do you love me? And I said, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. And you see, I thought about that a lot. And it just seems to me that Jesus was coming down to meet me at the level that I was at. He wasn't looking for these great acts of bravado or these great statements that actually when under pressure, I couldn't live up to. But he said, I'll come where you are and I will meet you. But he didn't stop there. You see, this is the reason why I remember that day so well. Because then Jesus continued with a rather strange word of encouragement, if you like. But he was speaking about this day, this day of my death. Because he said, Peter, the day is going to come when you'll be taken where you don't want to go. Other people will dress you. 
but he was talking about the way that in my death I would glorify him. That actually there would come that day when I would be willing to give up absolutely everything, that I would die for my saviour, and in that act I would glorify God. The soldiers are coming. I can hear the footsteps coming along outside now. It won't be long. But the great thing is that everything that Jesus said about my life changing, it came true. Within a few short days, God poured out his Holy Spirit. And on that day of Pentecost, he used me to preach the gospel to all these people in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of them. Days before, I'd been scared stiff of them. Yet I spoke to that crowd and I said, you, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised him from the dead. And I dare say amongst that crowd were some of the people that I had denied Jesus before with cursing and swearing just a few days later. And yet God's spirit was at work and they began to cry out, what have we got to do to be saved? And I was able to tell them, repent, be baptized, receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were saved that day. And it wasn't just that day. God continued to use us. And signs and miracles were happening. And every day people were coming into the kingdom of God. I remember one day, and I say this to his glory, to his honor, I remember just walking around and just as my shadow touched people, they were getting healed, as I said, all due to God and for his honor and for his glory. Now, I'm not saying that everything was easy. I must admit that at first I thought the, the gospel, the salvation was just for the Jews. And God had to teach me some lessons that it was for the Gentiles also. And eventually I learned those lessons and found myself in the home of Cornelius and speaking and God's Holy Spirit came. And now the gospel has been spread right across the world. And the world is being turned upside down. They're just outside the door. It won't be long now. I wonder what Paul would say about this. You probably have some fancy theological description of the arrival of immortality and incorruption, the consummation of our redemption. I've read Paul's letters and I found them very hard. But he did have some good things to say. Running the race, fighting the fight, finishing the course. They're here. This is it. Jesus was right. I don't want to go. But I won't deny my Lord this time. Okay, I'm sorry if um, some of those things were out of sync. I forgot to nod towards the back. Thank you for doing that. I don't really want to say too much else. I, I hope it's self-evident. It was interesting that when John was introducing the service this morning, he said, some of you might have had good days, some of you might have had bad days, and we all do. And that is what our Christian life is like. We have these ups, we have these downs, and yet God does not abandon us. And what I love about that story is this idea that Jesus comes and meets us where we are. You see, it's quite easy in a setting like this, when there's good music and there's a crowd of us to think, here I am, wholly available, I surrender all, but Monday morning, 
and Tuesday morning, it's a lot harder. And sometimes we mess up. And sometimes we fail. And Satan's so good at creeping in with his insidious lies. You're not worthy. Well, none of us are worthy. But that didn't stop Jesus dying for us. And God can use us. And God wants to use us. And God wants to take us on. So just before I hand back to John, can we just have just a moment or two, just of quiet, no one praying out loud, but just for us to come to God and say, God, thank you that you know all about me. I thank you, you know my strengths, but I thank and bless you that you know my weaknesses as well. And I just ask that you will take me on and that I might glorify you in my life. Just a moment or two of silence then. Father, I do thank you that you do not give up on us. I do thank you that you know all our weaknesses as well as all our strengths. And I just pray that you will continue to be at work with us, whether we're on the hilltop at the moment or down in the deepest valley, and that you help us to move forward. And that even during this week, we might glorify you somehow through our lives. Amen. Amen.